Chapter Sixteen of His First and Last Appearance by Francis J. Finn, S. J. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Maria Therese. Chapter Sixteen, in which Marian Filippo is prepared to astound a most cultured Milwaukee audience. It is December the twenty-second. A little distance westward, beyond the city limits of Milwaukee, stands a house which, vacant in winter, in summer time is used as a villa. At present, however, it happens to be occupied. Philip has been living there the past two days, right royally. It has been little work and much play. The professor has been as kind and tender as a mother. In many respects, he has gratified the young gentleman's every whim. Should their stay there last much longer, Philip would be a spoiled boy. However, Professor Schumann, as he now chooses to be called, is very strict on certain points. Philip cannot go beyond the yard which surrounds the villa, spacious grounds, it is true, but by no means large enough to suit the desires of the young soprano. And when he does take the air within this enclosure, he is muffled up so completely that, on the one hand, it is hardly possible for him to take cold, and, on the other, the sharpest eye would fail to recognize the little boy who, on December the 17th, charmed a miscellaneous crowd in the open air with his wondrous singing of Noel. Remember, Marian Filippo, the professor would say when Philip chaffed under these limitations. Remember, it is your first appearance. If you do well, Isabel's fortune is made. As a rule, this remark reduced the youngster to submission. For half an hour in the morning and another half in the afternoon, Marian Filippo was compelled to practice. In spite of himself, he was carried away by the professor's enthusiasm and was so docile that Himmelstein was raised to the seventh heaven of musical happiness. The last practice had come. Marian Filippo was attired in a very pretty suit of velvet, set off to advantage by lace cuffs, a colored tie in which red predominated, and a pair of shining patent leather slippers. A barber had been on the scene just previously to the practice, and had left our little friend with a glorious head of hair. His own hair, it is true, but coaxed and twisted into ripples of beauty. "'Ah, Marian Filippo,' said the professor from the piano stool, you look bewitching. I do look pretty gay, assented Filippo serenely. The women, the fine ladies, will all come and kiss you. Oh, I say, piped the boy in great indignation. I'm not going to stand that. I don't want to sing at all. They will come and kiss you if I do not prevent it. But do not fear. It shall not come to happen. I will bring you to the theater in a closed carriage, and I will bring you back in a closed carriage. It will be here in an hour. And while we are there, we will sit alone in a room till it is time for you to come out. Then we shall come back, and tomorrow we shall go to Chicago, and from there to New York. And, oh, Isabel will be so happy when she shall see you in your fine clothes and with your pockets filled with money. It will be immense, said Marion Filippo, joyfully. The thought of the homecoming filled his heart almost to overflowing. Were it not that he thought he was working in Isabel's interest, he would not have fought so manfully against the feeling of homesickness, which, despite the endeavors of the professor, attacked him so frequently during the long hours. But he was brave for Isabel's dear sake. Come now, we will practice. Mary and Filippo was in splendid voice. Not an inflection, not a cadence, was other than what the professor had suggested. Tremolo and trill, the swell and the fall, the expression of pathos and of triumph, all were brought out with an accuracy which left practically nothing to be desired. Och, gluck, cried Himmelstein, at the conclusion of the third stanza, 
Where are the men who say that music is not the greatest of the arts? Let them come, let them listen once to Mary and Filippo sing Noel, and they will go away converted. Ah, Mary and Filippo, the people will rise in their seats, and they will come behind the scenes. No, you don't, broke in Mary and Filippo. I don't want to be. All right, but when they come behind, we shall not be there. Oh, no, we will be rolling away in our carriage, and they will talk and wonder who marrying Filippo is, but they shall not know. Oh, you can tell them my name, you know. So, we shall see. The professor ate no supper. He had enough to do to see the proper dieting of his pet nightingale. Philip rebelled, for his appetite was good, but the professor had his way and the boy arose hungry, but consoled with the promise of a magnificent banquet immediately after the performance. Promptly at a quarter past seven the carriage came. If Philip had been a small case of dynamite, Professor Himmelstein could not have been more careful in wrapping him. The bandaging, the tying of wraps, the pinning, the intense study given to every detail by the old man would have done credit to the most skillful of surgeons. There were earmuffs and gloves and covers for the wrists and gums for the feet and wraps for the face and a silk handkerchief for the neck and last but not least a sort of domino which covered the coat and reached to the boy's heels even isabel would not have recognized her little brother before the preparations for bringing him into the open air were quite complete philip was reduced to tears i ain't a wax doll he pouted so you are worth a million of the wax dolls. Now, Philip, I mean, Marion, do not open your mouth to breathe, but keep your lips shut tight and breathe through your nose. Yes, I will, but what are we waiting for? Young Marion, do not eat that lozenge, but keep it in your mouth till it is all melted away. Yes, let's go. Professor Himmelstein glanced around the room to make sure that he had not forgotten anything. Then he fixed his gaze on Philip. Are your wristbands on? You spent at least five minutes at them. And have you got your lace cuffs in your pocket? Yes, yes, I've got everything. Come, let's go. Well, we go, so. And putting on his beard and dark glasses, Hemelstein conducted the boy to the carriage. It was nearly eight o'clock when they arrived at the Paths Theatre. As they got out, Philip observed with interest the long line of carriages and the knots of ladies and gentlemen who were making their way to the main entrance. It was a bitter cold night, but so absorbed was Philip in contemplating the scene that he stood stock still on the sidewalk and gazed about him with open mouth. Och himmel, roared the professor, catching him in a grasp of iron. You will kill yourself to stand here in the cold and with the mouth open to receive all the microbes of the city that hate the sweet voice. As he spoke, he was dragging Philip towards the side entrance. They were in much faster than suited the will of the singer, but he saw that resistance was useless. Himmelstein was in a rage of terror. So, he said, when they had been shown into a little room, which according to his directions had been almost hermetically sealed, so, now we shall stay here till the time is at hand. The lecturer will begin in one minute. Then there will be a solo by a lady, then more lecture, then a solo by a man, and more lecture, then a duo, then a trio, then a quartet, and then, Mary and Filippo, it will be your turn. They are all fine singers, the very finest in the city, and they will all sing the beautiful Christmas songs, and the people will think it very good. But when you come out and sing, Marian, they will forget forever and forever 
that the others have sung, and they will go home with just one thing in their heads, and that one thing will be one voice. Where's that orange you promised me? asked Philip. The professor groaned, but he got the lad the orange. End of chapter 16